How many of you are picture takers? Curious, just curious. Um, so I was thinking, like, the way that we capture moments has changed over the years. Can you imagine living in the days of chisel and stone? Like, how long you have to sit to get a self-portrait? Be crazy. Like, just hold on another week or so. You know, it's crazy. We had chisel and stone. Um, camera and film. Anybody else remember um, you would get, if you're um, under, it's like if you're a teenager or younger, then just humor me. But you would buy these things, and they were, um, they came in rolls. You would open them, and you had to do all this, like, in the dark. And you would load it into, you had to make sure you loaded it into the right side of the camera. You'd flip the back of your camera up, put the film in. You would pull it out enough to get it under these little sprockets. You would wind it, close it, take pictures. Then, when it was done, you would take that out, and you would put it in an envelope and mail it to Kodak. And then, like, two weeks later... Maybe, if you were lucky, you got those back. And then you realize how bad you were at taking pictures. Too late, right? Um, Polaroids. Anybody ever own a Polaroid? Anybody still own a Polaroid? Still use it? No. Polaroids were great, weren't they? Like, people, it revolutionized. Um, I don't know if it revolutionized picture taking, but it revolutionized the process of getting the picture. Like, my aunt was the first person I knew that had a Polaroid camera. And so she would, like, you know, take the book. And I remember this was, like, just normal. Like, just, what are you doing? Just trying to see the picture. And then you would watch it appear. And you're like, oh, that's awful. Right? It's terrible. Throw it away. Take another one. Man, we live in a, in a totally different world today. Pictures are instant, aren't they? You can, you can go down, take, your, take a flash card, flash drive down to Walmart, print them out. They look fantastic. Uh, you take pictures all the time, for sure, um, and you're like, nah, that wasn't good. Delete. Take it again. Nah, delete. Take it again. Like, how many pictures do you take to get the right picture? It's just changed. The way we capture moments has changed, but the fact that we capture moments has not. All of us capture moments that we never want to forget, and in those moments, we're thankful for the technology we have to preserve them. But I want to ask you a question. What about the moments that you would like to forget? Um, we have a few of those. I'm going to come down here because I just love looking at these pictures. A few um, moments that we would probably, these people would probably love to forget. We got a couple of these. This is a real picture of a real family that's living with real regret. Can, is that fair to say, right? We have a few more. Um, what? Just you got to say to yourself, what, right? Like, who, who came up with this idea and then kept it? Now, I'll, we can leave that for just a second. I'm not an uh, emergency personnel person. I don't, I don't go to fires, and we have some here. I, I don't know exactly what the story is behind this, but I'm thinking if that's a real firefighter in front of a real fire, he's not a firefighter anymore, right? Like, that's... There's a right place and a wrong place to take a selfie. I'm going to say that's the wrong place. we got a few more. I did put this on social media this past week, and I said that I thought I'd found a picture of Francis Chan with hair. Um, if you don't know who Francis Chan is, he's a famous preacher. But if you are from Albemarle and you know who Andy Jung is at First Baptist, also possibly could be him, right? Love that. So let's just talk through this, if we could, for a moment. Um, so, yeah. uh, family member in the back somewhere? I'm so, so proud. What a moment. So let's just talk for, if we can, for, for this one. 
Um, sometimes you have bad moments, a bad picture, because it's just a bad picture. You take it, you're like, that didn't turn out well. This was thought through, right? Like, this is a professional studio. You can see the really cheesy thing that they pulled down behind him, and he's, he's thought through the best way to stand. He's thought through what to wear. This is not just a bad moment. This was a lot of bad moments that led to the bad moment. Is that fair to say? This is bad, people. This is, if you, if you as a family are thinking, we need to get family pictures made, how should we pose? This is not it. I have saved you today by showing you this picture. And then, um, if I just set up the next one, don't go to it yet. I, I went to Google this week. I, Google's my friend. I, it's amazing I get any work done because I just get so into this stuff. Um, but I typed into Google bad, bad pictures. Um, I think it was bad pictures. Whatever I typed in there, this, the picture you're about to see was the first one. I want to put bad, bad selfies. This was the first one to pop up. If you are an avid social media user, you've seen this picture. I'm sure you've seen it, and you've seen words with it, and people have mocked it, made fun of it, shared it. Some of you are going to see it for the first time. I couldn't stop laughing when I saw it. Um, it's just so, so much fun. Here we go. So anyway, um, <laughs> I'd like to point out a few things if I can. One, don't pose like a man if you don't have chest hair, right? <laughs> Two, don't pose like a man if you're wearing a Cookie Monster hat. <laughs> Three, if you're going to wear a bandana, don't color coordinate it with a Cookie Monster hat, right? And I don't even know what this is all about, okay? I have no clue. But, like, anyway, like, he took it and posted it. If you take a bad selfie, do not post it. Oh, my goodness. And if that's one of your family members, I'm sorry, but there are counselors available to you. So um, what do we do with these moments that we wish that we could forget? And what do we do with the people that we want to reach with the gospel who also have these kind of moments? If we don't do something with the forgettable moments, listen to this. If we don't do something with forgettable moments, they will become regrettable moments, and we'll find ourselves stuck in them. So this morning, here's what I want to talk about. I want us to be in, we're going to be in Luke 13. I want you to hear this good news from Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you your big idea, and we're going to read this passage from Luke 13. You're not going to hear these words in the Scripture, but you're going to hear these words in the Scripture, okay? And here is your big idea. No moment can stop the movement. No moment can stop the movement, all right? Now, we're talking about lost and found, that we're on a rescue mission. God wants to rescue people from bad moments. And he has a movement. His movement is the advancement of the kingdom of God. And no moment, no matter how bad it is, can stop the movement. Luke 13. I'm going to read all these, 22 through 35. Here we go. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. This is Luke 13. It should be on the screens for you. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. And then you'll say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. 
But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that same time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And he replied, go tell that fox, I'll keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I'll reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I got two points I want to make with you this morning, but let's pray before I do it. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that this morning, um, as we just kind of take some time to look at these verses that we just read, I believe this, God, that sitting in this service right now are people who don't know what to do with bad moments in their lives. We, we, we laugh about the selfies and the pictures, and we should because they're awful. But in reality, all of us have moments in our lives that we don't know how to get past. And I'm praying this morning, God, that you would use your word to set us free. Man, to give us hope to know this, that no moment in our past, no matter how jacked up it is, can stop the movement of your kingdom. No moment. So, God, as we look at your word, open our eyes so we can see that truth. In your name, Jesus, amen. Here's point number one. We're going to take this, we're going to divide it into two groups. Um, this, this first part we talk about is the narrow door. So, Jesus is talking about this narrow door. So, what, what is the point of, you know, People are asking them, is everybody going to be saved? Will a lot of people be saved? And you have to understand, in that culture, people believed this. If you were a Jew, you were going to be saved. As a matter of fact, there was um, some people, this was what they would say, all Israelites have a share in the world to come. That's what people believed. That was a commonly held belief in Jesus' day. All Israelites will have a share in the world to come. So they say, hey, is Everybody who is, well, a lot of people be saved, or only a few people are going to be saved. And Jesus, his answer was to talk about some narrow door. So we got to figure out, like, what is that narrow door, and how does this relate to a lost and found mission? So if we're tying it back to moments, here's your first observation. Sometimes it can be hard to see past the moment. Really hard to see past the moment. And so Jesus points to this narrow door, and here's what he says. He says, in a kingdom, most people will miss this door. So who are the most people? Most people in that day were Gentiles. I'm sorry, most people that would miss it were people that he was talking to, Pharisees, Jews, people who thought they were already going to be in. He said, most people are going to miss this door. But the people that find it 
are going to be the people that you think are too bad. Gentiles, Samaritans, Romans, Greeks, they'll be allowed in. And so why would Jews miss the door, but all these bad people find the door? Because that door represents the R word that nobody ever likes to say. It's repentance. Repentance is what allows us to enter the narrow door into the kingdom. And so if you're a Jew in that day, and, and God's, Jesus is saying, look, the only way in is through this narrow door. You've got to repent of bad moments. You've got to repent of sin in order to get into the kingdom. That if you were an Israelite here and that, you're like, I don't need to repent of anything. I'm a Jew. Like, all Israelites will have a share in the kingdom. So I've never done anything really that bad, so I don't have to repent. But if you were a tax collector, a Gentile, a Greek, like a Samaritan, somebody who, who already knew that they were considered lower than anybody else, man, you felt like you were messing everything up. And so guess what they would do? Repent. They would find their way past the moment. And so sometimes we get stuck in these moments. We can't see past this moment. And so Jesus points to a narrow door. And here's, here's what the narrow door is. It's not narrow-mindedness. You're supposed to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. You're supposed to study to show yourself approved. God is definitely not opposed to learning. Every teacher in the room say amen. He loves us to learn. So the narrow door is not narrow-mindedness. The narrow door is not some kind of kingdom population control. Well, God's up in heaven going, I only want a few because that's all I can handle, right? Like if you're having a party at your house and you have too many people, you're like, uh, y'all going to have to leave right now. I can't handle this. This is not population control in the kingdom because verse 29 says there's going to be a scene in the kingdom of people from the north, south, east, and west, tons of people coming. So it is, it is repentance. It is a change of thinking and a change in the mindset, a change in the behavior of those who approached it. When we receive God's mercy, when we enter this narrow door, right, by repenting of our unwillingness to see our need of it and others need it, we have to repent of that. I don't think I need this door. And God says, yeah, you do. So here, check this out. You're living your life bad moment happens right here. Bad moment. And so many of us, not just you but me, so many of us, this bad moment defines who we are. We let it define who we are. Let's let's do some examples. Living your life, fired, unemployed. I'm not good enough. That defines you. Living your life, Marriage, over. I'm not good enough. Living your life. Kids, rebel. I wasn't good enough. I mean, that moment defines us. And here's what happens, okay? Check this out. If we go through that door and we continue to walk, everything from this point forward is by how we define ourselves there. Well, I'm just not good enough. I'm just a loser. I'm whatever. I'm whatever. And it defines us. So where does repentance play in that? Because y'all don't, y'all don't like the word repentance. You're like everybody else. Nobody likes to say that word, but we should say it a lot. Because here's what happens. We come up to that point, and we realize we have had a bad moment, and we repent in that moment. Lord, I am not good enough. I cannot save myself. I need your grace in my life. And we repent of it, and we turn back 
and go the route that God wants us to go. Repentance is what takes us past the bad moment. Sometimes we can't see past the bad moment, and here's why. Because some of you don't think you've ever had a bad moment. I would like to say on behalf of everybody that knows you, wake up. You've had plenty. So have I. What about the people that we want to reach with the gospel? What about people that we want to reach that are lost and we want them to be found? If we can't see past their bad moment, we'll never share the gospel with them. We'll just continue to let them move down this track. And so Jesus, in answer to bad moments, the need for repentance, he points to this narrow door and says, the way through that door into my kingdom is repentance. You've got to see that you need to repent, and then you have to actually repent. And when you go and tell people about the gospel, the message cannot be, you've got to come to my church. It's awesome. I mean, tell them to come. It's great. But it's got to be the gospel. Like, we have sinned, and he has paid a way for us to make to, to repent. There's a way to repent and have a better life. We've got to start seeing past these moments. Sometimes it's hard to see past the moment. And I'm not saying that lightly. I get it. I get that some of us in this room right now cannot see past our bad moments. When I was, I've, I've shared this a couple times. When I was in high school, um, one of my friends, he loved to sing. So he would have been like all into glee if we'd have had glee back in the day, right? He loved to sing. And so I, I, I like to sing too, but I was kind of a shower singer because I didn't know if I had a good voice. And so one day we were, um, we were in, in church and we were going to have this youth group presentation. And like the person in charge of it gave me a part. Like, Paul, I want you to sing this. And the minute that those words were spoken, my friend started laughing. And I was like, what, what, what's so funny? And he just went, you sing? How many words is that? Two, right? Those two words became a door for me, a bad moment in my life. Do you know that, I don't even know what happened when I sang that. I probably killed it in a bad way. But then fast forward, I'm a youth pastor, and our worship leader leaves in youth group. And so there's nobody to lead worship, so it's me. Huh. So I'm playing the piano, leading worship. And then that church also lost its worship leader for the adults. And so the pastor's like, hey, you should come lead worship. So I went, okay. So I step up and I lead worship. And then I left that church and went to another church. And I started a youth band and led that band in worship. And then I left that church and went to another church here in Albemarle where I was a youth pastor. Then I was like a fill-in worship guy for six and a half years. So I don't know how many cumulative years that is of me leading worship. Probably somewhere around 12 do you know that for all 12 of those years, all I ever heard was, you sing? Moments define us, and it's hard. If you can't see past those moments, then you'll get stuck there. And no matter what I accomplished in the kingdom of God in the area of music and worship, it didn't matter if you came up to me and said, you're the best worship leader ever. I would have thought, you're the biggest liar ever because I was still the high school kid on the stage being laughed at by my friend. Listen, some of you are facing things a whole lot bigger than that. And you're, you're stuck. You're letting that moment define you. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a part of this lost and found, if you want to be a part of this rescue mission, you've got to see past these moments. And you've got to repent 
You've got to repent. And here's, and listen, I promise it's going to end better than it is right now because I know it feels really harsh. But here's what you repent for, okay? Some of us need to repent for believing the lie that that moment was so horrible it hijacked the movement of God. Because that's really what we're saying, isn't it? Well, God, you're, good, you're powerful enough to forgive everybody else, but not my moment. And the good news is that no moment can stop the movement. No moment. And, I mean, I'm giving you permission right now to just think back through your life at the worst moments possible. I can promise you, your worst moment is never going to be as bad as Cookie Monster Hat doing this, right? Never going to be that bad. Whatever your worst moment is, guess what? It didn't stop the movement of God. It can't stop the movement of God because his movement is too powerful. So sometimes it's hard to, to see past the moment. I, I get that, all right? So let me give you something practical. Number two, something practical that you can do. Jesus showed not only is it possible to move past it, but I believe that in the last five verses of this chapter, he told us how to do it, okay? So here's what he says. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else because Herod wants to kill you. And I love, I love what Jesus said. He said, go tell that fox, okay? So Jesus is saying, look, you've got to repent. We've got to repent. There's a narrow door into the kingdom, and if you're not willing to repent, if you don't believe that you need to repent, you're going to miss this door. If you're, and once you realize that you needed to repent, you're going to be willing to tell everybody else that they need to repent as well. Not like in um, carrying banners and mean signs and pointing at people, but repentance is a really good thing. Because what you're saying to people is, you've got some bad moments, but God's more powerful than that. Let's repent of the bad moment and let's follow him. Let's join this movement, right? And so Jesus gives two examples. One is Herod. Herod wants to kill Jesus. And then the other example is Jerusalem, who apparently Jerusalem has a long history of killing people, right? Did you see that when we read it the first time? Like, you've killed all the prophets, and everybody that comes to you with something good, you kill them. And what is Jesus' response? Oh, how I've wanted to pull you in and hold you. What is his response to Herod? Oh, you, you go tell that fox. One, he called him out, right? He didn't, like, he didn't do the traditional Christian thing. It was like, oh, I'm sure Herod's a great guy. Uh, no, he was like, tell the fox, right, I, I see you for who you are, but, it's a big but, but I've come with a movement that will not be stopped. Isn't that what he said? He said, in any case, I must press on today and tomorrow. I've got to move on. That word for um, press on in the Greek, it means that the movement continues. It means to pursue the journey one is on. And so here's what Jesus is saying to Herod. Your bad moment will not keep me from my moment of pursuing you. I know you want to kill me. Guess what, Herod? That's actually part of the plan. Your bad moment will not stop my movement on its way to you. I love that. He says the same thing about Jerusalem. You've killed people, but I've longed to hold you. Jesus pursues murderers and adopts them into the family. And if that's not a picture of a movement being bigger than a moment, I don't know what is. He says to Jerusalem, you have murdered people, and I still want to have you over. I don't know, I don't know what your social life's like, 
but I'm guessing you're not inviting a lot of murderers to your house. Jesus is like, you've murdered people, and I want to adopt you into my family. Jesus comes to us in our worst moments and says, I still want you. And we're like, what? Did you really see me for who I am? I mean, I've got examples, Jesus. Hold on. I pull them all out. Tell them all the stuff we've done. It's a long list of things, horrible moments. God, you, you can't use me because of that or because of that or I'm too, whatever the blank you put in the blank. We tell them all these bad moments that we've had. You can never use me. And here's what, here's what happens. I get up for nine weeks and talk about a lost and found rescue mission that Jesus wants to use you in. And, and you sit there for nine weeks and go, he can't use me. I'm disqualified. I mean, God, don't you know what I've done? As if somehow your moment is greater than his capacity to forgive you. And it's not. We've all had bad moments. We've all had moments we want to forget. But today we want to see you free from those moments. And so this, this second point, don't freeze the moment. Seize the movement. Don't freeze the moment. Now, listen, we are our own worst enemies, right? We freeze our bad moments in our head. But guess what else we do? We freeze other people in their bad moments. Have you done that? Have you been the, the, on the receiving end of that? Well, like, you might, have, you might have done one thing, and somebody else has defined your entire life by that one moment. And so you can't get past it. You want to, but you don't think you can because they won't let you get past it. Listen, we cannot be a church trying to reach people with the gospel who we have frozen in their worst moment. We can't freeze the moment in our, in our own lives or even in their lives. I mean, when you read the Bible, really read the Bible, have you noticed how bad the people are that God uses? And is it just me? I know this week in community group, you're going to look at a lot of those people. I mean, he uses murderers, adulterers. He, he uses, like, people that we would never allow to be on a ministry team in churches. He used those people, right? It's crazy. He never got stopped because of those people. Those are the people that we want to reach with the gospel because we've got to be com completely compelled with the fact that the gospel is greater than those moments. And so if you're one of those things, like one of those bad labels, like you've got this label on your back and you wear it proudly because that's what everybody says that you are. You'll never be a good singer, so you can't do whatever. Man, Jesus wants to break you out of that. He has a different label for you. His label is a, a label of overcoming. Like there's nothing that can stop you if you're working for his kingdom. What, what can stand against you? Nothing. No weapon formed against you can prosper. These are, that's your identity. And what that does is it begins to fill us with hope. It begins to fill us with the fact that, like, nothing we've done is so bad it cannot be forgiven. Romans 5.20 says this. It says that where, where sin increased, grace increased even more. So, yeah, have you ever heard somebody say, I'm too bad for God? Have you ever thought that about yourself? I'm just too bad for God, right? 
But that, that verse says it's impossible to be too bad for God because when you sin more, he gives more grace. And I go, oh, this is a cool little game. Like, I can do whatever I want, no matter how bad it is, and he's got it covered. And then Jesus would just say, you've missed the point of grace, right? It's not, well, I can sin more so that I get more grace. Because Paul says in, in the very next verse, well, should we keep on sinning? Absolutely not. Because God's grace changes us. It overcomes that. It helps us to not freeze ourselves in our worst moment. It helps us not to freeze other people in their worst moments. These four words, forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. And forgiveness breeds hope. It gives people hope that whatever I am, wherever I am, whatever I've done, I'm not stuck here. And so God says that narrow door that we don't like to think about because it's repentance, here's what happens. If this morning, if this morning you repented and I repented, of believing that my worst moment is so powerful that God can't overcome it, that my worst moment could actually stop the gospel movement. If I repented of that, guess what I would find? Forgiveness. And guess what that would give me? Hope. And hope is what we need more of. This week I was doing all this stuff, getting ready for the message, and I was like, God, I don't have a good closing. You know, I mean, you've heard me preach right now to this point, and you might be like, you didn't have a good message, but... um. I didn't have a good closing. Like, God, how do I wrap this thing up? And I love the way God works. You know, I'm sitting um, in the coffee shop, and Bridget has w- had watched something on um, Bethel at some conference, and she was like, I don't remember anything the guy said, but there was something about rats swimming. And I was like, what? You had me at rats, you know. It's like, I don't know, like the guy said something about rats swimming. I can't remember, exactly. it was, but it was really powerful. You should watch it. And so, so I found it, and I'm watching it, and I couldn't find the right part, and so I'm researching rats. Like, you should Google that sometime, rats and swimming. It's fun. And so I'm Googling. I'm trying to find out what it is. And I finally found it on Google, and then I found it in the video. And I'm just going to read to you what, what this guy read in his video. Just check this out. Um, rats and hope. Here we go. In the 1950s, Kurt Richter, a Harvard graduate and John Hopkins scientist, did a series of experiments that tested how long rats could swim in high-sided buckets of circulating water before drowning. Now, you're a little twisted when that's your experiment, right? I mean, at least it was rats, right? Some of y'all are full of compassion. You're like, but the rats, they died. It's all good. Here we go. Dr. Richter found that under normal conditions, a rat could swim for an average of 15 minutes before giving up and sinking. However, if... He rescued the rats just before drowning, dried them off and let them rest briefly, and then put them back into the same buckets of circulating water. The rats could swim an average of 60 hours. Yes, 60 hours. If a rat was temporarily saved, it would survive 240 times longer than if it was not temporarily saved. And this makes no sense. How could these rats swim so much longer during the second session, especially just after swimming as long as possible to stay alive during the first session? Dr. Richter concluded that the rats were able to swim longer because they were given hope. A better conclusion is that the rats were able to swim longer because they swam with the energy given through hope. The rats had a clear picture of what being saved looked like. So they kept swimming. 
Psalm 71.5 says this, For you, Lord, are my hope. Listen, hope comes from the Lord. The same psalm, verse 14, But I will hope continually because hope sustains us and hope changes us. That's the repentance part. We don't come through the door of repentance in sorrow. We come through the door of repentance in hope because our messes, when we bring them to the narrow door and we repent, our message, our message is what makes us the best messengers of grace. If you've got a bad moment, listen, there's no moment that can stop the movement. So this morning, I want you to bring that moment to the feet of Jesus. I want you to watch him transform your mess into a message. Now, I'm looking around the room, and I don't see a bunch of rats, right? That's good, isn't it? We're not rats. Listen, if rats can feel the hope of just being saved temporarily and then put back into a bucket to swim some more, just that can transform a rat? You think maybe the hope of the gospel can transform us? I think it can. And I think this morning what I want for you is the hope of the gospel. I want you to respond to that. I want you to see that what we sang about earlier about resurrection is that the power of a resurrected king is that he can actually resurrect your life, change you. And I'm going to ask you this morning to bring your worst moment to him and submit it to him. Say, God, even in spite of this moment, I trust that it won't stop your movement. And not just the global movement of your kingdom, God, but in my own life. You may have a bad moment because you're the victim of somebody else's stupid action, right? And sometimes that happens. But more times than not, our bad moment is something we did and I just this morning want you to have freedom from that I want you to not be held captive to that anymore because God's bigger than that bad moment just before we respond um, there is power in praise and we're going to sing the end of this song if you want to find the words to that song and stick it up if you can do that that'd be awesome let me tell you about a bad moment. I, I tell you my bad moments all the time. You're probably like, I can't believe you have good moments. Um, I remember one time that um, I, you don't you didn't know me before I pastored, and you didn't really know me before I was a Christian. But um, I, I was one rage-filled man, boy. Um, my temper put holes in walls. Um, you can I've shared this with a few people in community groups. Um, this is not to embarrass my sister, but I mean Laura McDonald's. She's in our church. She teaches in Kid City. She actually told my mom, Paul's going to beat his wife because I beat her. Um, not regularly, but, like, I, would, I hit her with a baseball bat once. You know, I know you're thinking, like, oh, that's so cute. But no, I hit her with a baseball bat. It wasn't brother, sister. I just was a, ra I was a raging maniac. I hit her one time so hard I left a handprint. Like, I was filled with rage. And I'm telling you, I cussed, like, no sailor has ever cussed before. It was a part of my regular vocabulary. I didn't cuss when I was mad. I cussed all the time. Now, if Wendy hears me tell this testimony, she will say to me later, and she has heard this testimony, I can't even picture you like that. That is the hope of the gospel. That is, I could be stuck in these moments, 
But even when it flares up again, when we first had the kids, and if you've ever had children, you know that they can bring out the best and worst in you. <laughs> there was one time that I, I couldn't get Parker to move fast enough. He might have been like two or three years old, and we are at our house, and he just wouldn't move. I was like, we got to go, we got to go, and he wouldn't move. And I, in my frustration, to reach out. See, I'll say it, the, the pastors say it. I helped him along. But no, what I really did was pushed him. And he, he stumbled out the door, hit his heel, and he fell backwards down brick steps. Now, I don't know how you handle bad moments, but I was reaching for him, like knowing I just pushed my son down step, brick steps. And he's fine. He's good. It's all good. I mean, he is at Carolina, so something may have gotten messed up at the time. But he's good, right? And that's the grace of God that spared my son because he could have really been messed up. But I was like, oh, God, I'm a pastor. I'm still filled with rage. What's wrong with me? And I heard the whisper of the enemy, like, you're still that same guy. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And you're not either. Because the power of the gospel transforms lives. He changes us. He's changing you. And in a minute, they're going to sing this thing, this, this line that talks about our lives rising from the ashes of defeat. And if you're here this morning and you want that to happen in your life, guess what I'm going to ask you to do? <laughs> Even those of you that can't sing well. <laughs> Stand up and sing it. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just respond. Stand up and sing it. Well, I can't do that. That's stupid. Yeah, that kind of thinking got you where you are. Let's try something new. Let's try to give ourselves fully, right, to this king. So would you close your eyes? Father, I just pray right now that you'd fill our church, God, with power to respond to hope, to not be stuck in a bad moment because no moment can stop a movement. So we just respond by saying, God, we're going to let you raise our lives from the ashes of defeat. Come on, you sing that out by your spirit.